is a member of the Mice Chat Podcast Network. MicePod.com. <laughs> Warning, this show contains childish adult content and is intended for immature, mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views spoken are ours and ours alone, not those of any other bugger. If you're easily offended, we strongly suggest finding another podcast. Everybody neat and pretty, then on with the show. Please stand clear of the doors. Por favor, manténganse alejado de las puertas. Let's put on the show. Growing older is mandatory. Growing up is optional. This After Dark, the podcast that's nearly the same as all the others. Calm down, calm down. Oh, hello. Hello, everyone. Um, welcome back to the Mouse's Head for uh, Series 2, Episode 17, if I'm not mistaken. I'm Paul. I'm Nick. I'm Paul D. And hello to our guest today. Uh, hi there. I- I'm Jim Hill. Yes. Because um, we had some feedback on iTunes. Lots of five-star reviews, but we got a two-star review back in January. Ah, uh, well. <laughs> you-, you see. And th- you'll like this one. Uh, from, okay. We, we prepare feedback from everyone. And this mm-hmm. one came from uh, Randy Lahey. 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 Randy Lahey. I don't know. Um, basically, only worth listening to when Jim Hill is on. <laughs> if you subscribe to any other Disney pod- Parks podcast, open brackets, maybe one with a Disney British accent, close brackets, then this is pretty much superfluous. Um. I could have looked that up in a dictionary, but I don't know. I'm just going to say thank you very much. I've never been called superfluous. Uh, um, it sounds a bit like super. Unless the ma- no, exactly. It's got the word super in it. it so it, yeah, it's it, going to be good. Unless there the marvellous Jim Hill is on, of course, I could listen to that man read the phone book out loud. So oh, luckily. So I just for phone, you, Jim. Phone book with have a phone book. There you go. Abercrombie, eh? Um, oh, so, God yeah, help us. Uh, gentlemen, before we, we wind you up and let him go, uh, what are you drinking? Okay. Um, you got yeah. a uh, I got a bottle. I couldn't find a Disney-themed one, but I got a kind of holiday or good time-related one. I got a bottle of Boondoggle. Uh, that, that's a great word. I'm, I'm going to write that in my book of new words I've learnt today, next to superfluous. <laughs> Cheers. I wonder how many points it gets you in Scrabble. <laughs> Look... Is it on a double word score or not? I don't know. Three O's, two G's. Should be good. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, would you believe I had a Disney themed beer? I say had because we kind of slightly got our show recording time wrong. So I'd already cracked open one. Um, so I actually had a bottle of uh, a beer called Big Bob uh, in tribute to Bob Hoskins. Yeah. Uh, or is Disney community name Eddie Valiant um, from Who Frank Roger Rabbit, who died the other week. So, uh, so that was in tribute to him. Um, unfortunately, I'm now left with something that isn't, and it's uh, Sierra Nevada Pale Owl, which is recommended to me by my good friend Stone Cold Steve Austin, who I've never actually met. That wasn't six million dollar man, Steve Austin, was it? Uh, no, but other Steve Austins are, of course, available. Yeah, I won't read the feedback that says, but the joke about other things are available is getting old. Yeah, I saw that one. <laughs> We've ignored it. Oh, yes. I, I actually wrote that review. <laughs> that review is superfluous. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, would you like a drink? 
Um, I'm actually sitting here with, what is this? This is vintage seltzer with lemon lime flavor, but God help me, it's sodium free, calorie free, taste free. What the hell am I drinking this for? <laughs> so, alcohol like free. Glass. Pretty much, really. You know, just, I'm having air, gentlemen. So. Well, and, and I've just gone for a, bo a bottle or two of um, Bulmer's Black Cherry Cider. It's uh, good. It yeah. is nice. I, I went on recommendations. Mm -hmm. um, because I was a bit of a hurry today. I didn't want to go down the shop because it's been too long. Because uh, Brighton had Derby to play today. And it would have been great if we'd have actually turned up. But this isn't a football podcast, so I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, let's go straight into it. We don't do any news or anything this time because um, we've got Jim Hill with us. Yay! That is the news. Yeah. Where should we start? Uh, entirely up to you guys. I mean, it's it's been. I mean, you mentioned Bob Hoskins, you yeah. know, and it just, uh, you know, I, 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 I love that guy in everything, though. You know that that's and there's so many great stories associated with him. I mean, do you know the one about uh, the Untouchables? I only found that story out, um, obviously on his on his passing. I've not heard that before, but. Uh, for those that don't know, please go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, no. He was going to be in that film. He was going to play Al Capone. And given all of the great gangsters that he played in the past and The Long Good Friday and, you know, uh, The Cotton Club and that sort of thing, he would have been great at it. But at the very last minute, De Niro sort of raised his hand and sort of, you know, you know, I'll do it, but for this payday and... You know, the, the studio, I think it was Paramount that made the thing, was was thinking, well, a movie with De Niro will make a certain, certainly more money than one with Bob Hoskins. And so, um, you know, so the director, uh, Brian De Palma, had this really unfortunate moment of having to go to, to you know, Bob and go, I'm really sorry we've got, you know, this, uh, you know, De, De Niro's willing to do it, so we'd like to buy you out. And, and Hoskins, on the other hand, just loved the whole thing. You know, just the notion, let me get this straight. I'm going to get paid my full amount of money which i think was 35,000 pounds for the for the role at the time and you know just to not show up to not do the costume fittings to not have her hanging the set and he, yeah and he said absolutely you know sure and, and, and then turns to the and says if there are any other movies that you don't want me to appear in please call anytime you know just <laughs> but no he was he was such a, a huge talent and I, at the same time i just i love his work in Roger Rabbit, though it really it came at a price. Again, I, I think a, a, a few of the um, memorial pieces might have mentioned that he, in, in prepping for Roger Rabbit, he actually hung out with his daughter who had an invisible friend and saw how she interacted with this invisible friend. And, you know, so that's that's how he went to the set and dealt with Roger. And he said, the problem was about 10 days before they finished shooting, he began to see Roger, you know, it's just <laughs> kind of out of the corner of his eye to the end of the sentence. Like, could we wrap this up quickly? Because I, I think I need to go someplace else. I don't, I, I, I don't want to be Eddie Valiant for a while, you know. It'd be, it'd be okay if it was Jessica you were seeing. Well, no, you see, now that's, that's, that, that's an entirely different situation. And I think <laughs> a lot of us would like to see Jessica out of the corner of, well, any corner. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, he, he hasn't gone too many corners. <laughs> this is true. This is true. You know, in fact, um, I, I oh god, this this brings up an interesting thing. Disney has been going through its library, uh, looking at films 
that it can um, do the 3D uh, transition with. I mean, and you, you, we've seen a couple of them come forward, you know, that, that uh, Lion King, that sort of thing. In fact, they, yeah. they entirely prepped The Little Mermaid for a 3D release. And the problem was that I guess that Lion King made a huge amount of money. Beauty and the Beast didn't make nearly as much as they expected. And they decided it was kind of diminishing returns and that they thought, but let's hold off, you know, because we know eventually 3D televisions will make it into the market and we can then sell these films at that time. But evidently they did do a test of Roger Rabbit and they did do, you know, it's one of these things where it's like, you know, I want to see the Disney executive who justified this, but it was, it was the, 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 uh, the Egan Pan Club. And so, you know, here comes Jessica through the curtain, you know, th through the curtain, and they they did the full scene, and evidently it was the you know the the scene. Could we see that one again? You know, just like <laughs> because, but but at the same time, you have to understand when you make these scenes, you know, when you you do these things, they they actually take each individual scene in the movie, and treat it like a window. And, you know, say you're looking at the window of your house and, you know, there's a tree in your yard that's 30 feet away and there's a shrub that's 15 feet away and there's a dog in the yard that's in between those two points. And that's literally how you have to plan out the scene as you're, you're translating into 3D. And so evidently the discussion was, okay, so Jessica's neck is 16 inches away. How close is the breast? And it was, you know... <laughs> And it was one of these discussions about, I think it's still like 10 inches away. It's like, no, that's not physically possible. It's just a grabbit. Come on. You know, and so lots of discussions about wh where exactly are we, are we in the boobosphere right now? You know, it's just, is, is she close? Is she far away? So, we took an IMAX. There we go. So, no, in fact, you know, that IMAX would, you know, just uh, caution you, maybe blinded by watching this film. But, um, but no, that test is out there, and hopefully someday we will see a 3D Roger Rabbit. Um, but, yeah, that, 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 again, Disney identified this as a brand-new revenue stream, and then when it stopped making money or, or enough money to justify the translation costs, they stopped. And, you know, they, to just sort of run off in a different direction here, that's why a lot of people at the studio are kind of like, yeah, I know Avatar 2 and 3 and the prequel are coming, but, you know, Avatar made, what was it, $4 billion worldwide or something to that effect on the back that it was the first really good 3D movie. Yeah. And let's face it, you know, even, you know, I, I guess they've, they've started pre-production now, but seriously, what the hell are they going to do? Be, you know, I mean, with Avatar 2, 3, whatever, you know, because I, I don't, you know, we've all seen 3D movies at this point. We've all seen Avatar. Um, I don't think this thing's going to do nearly the business or the sequels and the prequel are going to nearly going to do the business. And Disney's kind of tied the whole future of Animal Kingdom to that franchise, yeah. you know. It's just, yeah, it's very, it's very odd when you think about it, because, you know, as we've mentioned before when talking about Avatar Land, you know, mm -hmm. it's not a Disney franchise. So they've hedged all their bets on something that isn't, they don't have any kind of control over. Well, I, but at the same time, that they, they honestly believe, given Cameron's track record, that, uh, you know, that it's a smart place to be in business with him. And more to the point, I, in fact, when when you talk with the, 
uh, the executives actually made this decision. It's like, look, yeah, we, we start in, you know, we're starting in at Disney's Animal Kingdom in Florida, but we're going worldwide with this. This is, you know, this is a, you know, this is phase two of Shanghai. Uh, they'll open Avatar Land there, the the Brazil park, which... <laughs> okay. Well, you know, that one, actually, it's been kind of interesting. I'm sure, you know, well, you've been... We'll come to that one in a minute, because that's yeah. a new one on me. <laughs> well, no, the, the Disney, I mean, face it, if you've been to Walt Disney World and, you know, at, at certain times of a year and suddenly someone with a flag goes walking by <laughs> you and, you know, 1,300 people following them, uh, and all of them then try to jump ahead of you in line, I mean, Braz the Brazilians are a huge market for Disney. And, you know, in fact, I, I was talking with um, the folks uh, for Harry Potter. Uh, they, they were doing the rollout of um, Diagon Alley, and it was fascinating. They actually took the two actors who play the Weasley brothers, and they, they sent one to Japan, and they sent one to Brazil, because these are, you know, two huge music, uh, emerging markets for the company. And, you know, so same thing with Disney. It's just sort of like that's you know, where a lot of our, our visitors come from and should we maybe start thinking about putting a park down there and it's like, please tell me that the Brazilian economy is not going to collapse in the, you know, five years that it's going to take to build this thing, you know, because, you know, then it's like, I would like to bring my family into the park. That will be one goat, please. Um, so, you know, and I, I don't, I don't. <laughs> there you go. A whole goat. A whole goat. You know, and, and, and they give you two pygmy goats and change. I mean, you know, it's it's you know. So, um, I don't know what to tell you that that's those are the discussions that wow. that are held at at the at the Bob Iger version of the Walt Disney Company. I mean, this is a guy who honestly believes in the international expansion of the company. That's um, just that announcement. What a week to ten days ago! Like, you know, we changed our mind about Shanghai. We're throwing another eight hundred million dollars at it, and it's like, okay, okay, that's 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 interesting. You know that, but this was anybody who's ever done business with the Chinese. And again, I don't say this to be offensive, um, but part of the budget for for uh, Shanghai Disneyland, 20% of the money that was set aside to build this park was set aside for graft. You know, just the no notion of we're going to have to pay to make sure that things make it off the boat or make it to the work site. And, you know, evidently part of this, we need $800 million more, was we ran a, we ran out of graft money. I'm it's, sorry. Yes, it's, 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 it's there, a line item in the budget as palm, yeah. palm grease. Yeah. Absolutely. And, it, you know, it, it, the story I, I, I've always heard is that there is one executive within the Disney company whose job, it, you know, is exactly this. This is the person you go to who mans the safe or who mans the Internet and moves the money around and throws into other people's accounts. And But they are the person in charge of graph for the Shanghai Disney project. And they knew going into this that they were going to be dealing with some of the scariest people on the planet. Um, and so just the whole notion of, look, once I finish this project, I want to retire. I want to go to some place where if this goes south, people can't find me. And it's like, absolutely. Okay, if, you know, if you're the one watching the safe and, you know, what is it, you know, 2016, when this opens, you know, you, we'll arrange to send you to the island they shot Lost on. Okay, and, you know. Um, I, I, you know. I, I wonder if a, a lack of... Um 
increasing budget is the reason why Universal Studios Dubai is nothing but a Universal Studios arch in the desert. You know, I, that that's it, it, that's a very interesting question. I you know that I know that I think it's Theme Park Tourist just recently ran a shot of and again it's just it's an amazing photograph of the arch yeah. and the sea of sand that's behind it. Um, you know, I, I don't know the particulars of that project. I do know, for example, though, that Shanghai, the exact site that uh, Dis- Shanghai Disneyland is being built on, was first uh, surveyed and the, the deal was negotiated and Universal walked away uh, from, from building a theme park resort in this exact spot. Disney was number two. And I think... Um, you know, the Comcast guys, um, I, I think they just recognize that while, you know, it's important to be in emerging markets, uh, and they are having some very interesting discussions with the Russians, which I'm sure at this point they're not entirely happy that, you know, let's get Putin seems stable. Let's talk with him. You know, You'll need I don't some see... money for that one. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. But um, they thought of the two that... You know that that okay. Let's go this route, and that bit them in the ass. But I, I think, um, in the case of Dubai, I mean, this this was oil money. And remember, in two thousand eight, when the economy shrank in the way it did, um, that suddenly they got nervous over there because they were developing this park for an emerging middle class that suddenly maybe wasn't emerging, uh, and. <laughs> Since then, you know, clearly with, with what happened with uh, Hogsmeade and Hogwarts Castle and now, you know, soon to come online Diagon Alley, uh, you know, Universal suddenly realizes, wow, there's a lot of money just to be made out of the three parks we already own. I mean, uh, Universal Osaka's version of Potter opens up uh, July 15th. And <laughs> it was just, I want to credit Seth Kaversky with this story. He's the guy who works for the Orlando Weekly, but... Um, he had heard that in out ahead of the opening of that park's version of Forbidden Journey, um, th- it turns out the Japanese are much more motion sensitive than, you know, we are in the West. And uh, and so what they they have now done a softer, dumbed down version of uh, Forbidden Journey. They they were actually testing it. Um, in in the Orlando facility, just to sort of see that, all right, do we still get the same sort of show value if we move gently through the scenes? Um, and evidently they did, and so that one's opening in Osaka in um, what is it? Uh, just two months from now. So I have to a bit of research into that. Is it a full version of Hogsmeade? Um. It- it would appear to be so that that they've definitely got the castle. They've def- and if anything, given the Japanese secretary girl attitude toward retail, I mean, that's one of the reasons why it made sense um, to build Tokyo Disney Seas, the, the second gate, um, because you, you had this 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 whole class of people who you know came to the park on a weekly basis. And, you know, I mean, these are the people who are buying the Duffy, you know. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it's... Well, but it gets even stranger. I was actually talking with... Uh, damn, I am... Playing, Alan Zachary, uh, who's the, the gentleman who wrote the music for Twice Upon a Time, the, the Cinderella story that's done on the boats. 
Uh, likewise, he, he's the guy who just did the Zachary Levi Broadway musical First Aid. And, he, you know, we were talking about the various projects he's working on for different parks and that sort of thing. And he was explaining that he and his writing partner had just been hired to write a theme song for Duffy's girlfriend, Sadie. So, that, you know, when Sadie appears on stage in Japan, she needs her own theme music. So people will get excited and buy her dolls. So that that was literally going you know, to somebody said, we need a song. Get those guys in here. All right. You know, <laughs> to, you know, give us a nice upbeat number for the plush bear. So, so, and so they did it. Sadie's so. so Sadie's coming. Yep. Sadie's coming. So again, all of you who, you know, are, are bitching and moaning about Duffy right now. <laughs> just wait. Sadie's on the way. Gear all right. Up. Yeah, that's I, right. I, I don't know. I, I, I feel bad saying this um, because I know how this makes me look and I have no interest in Duffy, but um, I do know that he has uh, a lady friend called Shelley. Shelley? Mm. Hmm. He's too tame and Sadie. Could be. That's a bounder. Okay, now... Dirty Duffy. The thing is, let's be honest anyway. I mean, the thing is, if, if uh, Shelley Bear has not been selling anywhere near enough units, yeah. then they are going to replace her. So... No, it's it's, it's, it's been lost in translation. It's been dumped, yeah. Yeah. And, I, I, and that's, 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 you know, possible. But, um, unless, unless, of course, Shelley doesn't translate in Japanese. Do you know, we've had Shelley May. No, I, he's right. I'm looking at this thing. It says Shelley May. So I'm wondering. Hmm. I wonder if. The thing is, Shelley doesn't exist in America. Yeah, Shelley yeah. May. But Sadie did. Well, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we're not, going oh, down that, we're not going down that road, guys. <laughs> Thank um, you. Thank you, Jim. Um, all right. Well, I, I tell you what, I, I'm, I'm going to defer to your knowledge on this. I again, it's, it's if it's if I'm getting the wrong the name wrong here, because what I may have done is crashed the two names together. Because if it's Shelley May, I may have just again, I've got five working brain cells at this point in my life. So that that's it may be Sadie. I heard Shelley May and turned into Sadie. But either way, again, theme song for a bear's girlfriend, a plush bear's girlfriend. It's just sort of like I, 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 think, I don't know how I feel actually, because in, on one hand, I've just potentially corrected the oracle of of knowledge in Jim Hill, but at the same time, it's about Duffy's girlfriend. Mm. So while I'm rather pleased on one hand, I'm deeply, deeply ashamed on the other. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm actually hoping Jim's right, because uh, even though they are, in fact, stuffed, even if they are stuffed bears, Sadie is a bit of a classier name than Shelley May. Well, sounds oh, sounds, I, sounds I, like she should be driving around in a pickup. Yes. Uh, I, I hate to say this, I, ta I take the gentleman's right. I think Shelley May is, <laughs> is the way to go. So, <laughs> oh, well. If you're talking about bragging rights in this situation, boy, are they small. But, 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 but go ahead. <laughs> just take them. I'll, I'll take, just take them. Just... And Nick, you've got, you've got nothing to be ashamed of. You, you might know oh, I, too I much. Have, I have plenty to be ashamed of. But, <laughs> but this bear thing isn't going to keep me up at night. No. Anyway, no. so. Yes. All right. Joe, so, just going back to the to the Avatar piece, how yep. much do you think the link between Disney and Avatar is now going to actually affect what's you know what's in the second and the third Avatars? How much is that going to influence what what appears in the movie? You know, um, it, it's interesting you bring that up because they, they have 
you know, they're committing, you know, depending on who you talk to, this is a half a billion dollars or $600 million at the end, you know, because again, now they're talking, you know, they want to have a certain amount of this open and then be able to open a second larger attraction, uh, you know, a year and a half, two years after opening to spur further attendance, that sort of thing. Um, Sort of like you watch the film and then you see something and you think, yeah, because that's a ride, isn't it, waiting to happen? Well, well that, it, Gringotts you know, springs to mind. Yeah, well, no, no, that's that's you know, and, and, but to be fair, that that's face it. When you you spend as much money to go into a park as you do these days, yeah. you know, you you want certain things. You want you know that, that in fact with the um, the Avatar ride, you know, there was always about flying over the environment because flying had been such a big part of the first film uh and you know that that's the interesting thing is supposedly what cameron keeps pushing is that look we have as big or if not a bigger component related to water and underwater environments and the the other tribes of the world coming for this next film and so you know that's they want to hold a little bit back because I guess in film two, um, they have what they believe is the next ride. Uh, but you know that they, they. But again, Cameron being Cameron, he doesn't want. I mean, think about it. You know, think about the level of security he wrapped around Titanic. All right. It's not and, like you didn't even know the end of it. Well, no, that's exactly. Right? <laughs> Don't spoil happen? it for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like okay, so you know the. This ice, you know, this big piece of ice covered with little blue people. That, that's what did it. That's what sank the boat. Just sort of like, you know. But but again, that's the sort of guy he is. He's a a really protective storyteller of, of you know, and, and you know, again, that's what kind of makes them a nice match. You know, he and and, and the Disney company because Disney. I mean, think about it right now. I mean, are you guys getting? As inundated with the maleficent advertising as we are, we are here stateside. You know, it's, you, you know, you, you can't open up with a cupboard without Angelina Jolie falling I, out. Or... Well, I saw the first television advert for it this oh, evening. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Other than that, all I've ever gotten is, is Facebook feeds for it, and okay. probably um, probably the circles I move in more than anything. We are definitely getting, uh, as Paul said, more more TV spots. Cause I've seen a couple. Um, we've seen a couple of trailers. And actually, um, this is one of the rare, rare episodes of Disaster Dark that my beloved wife might actually listen to because she loves hearing you, Jim. And my wife is a massive fan of Maleficent and has been looking forward to this for ages and loved you talking about it on, uh, well, when you come on the show last year. But there's one thing that she's been seeing from the trailers and TV spots that she would like to see if you could clear up. Okay. Based on your so far knowledge. And that is um, the three fairies, the three mm-hmm. fairy godmothers. Yep. Now, from what I've read and seen, there's three pixies, but they're not actually the fairy godmothers from the cartoon we know. So what's the story? Well, I, if you, you, you've seen the ad where Maleficent makes her entrance mm-hmm. and you have the... the you know the blue, the green, and the the red. You know the pixie hanging out of the thing. That's Flora, Fauna, and Merry, Merryweather. I mean, in this story, they're not identified like that. 
in fact, you know, this, I think we talked about this the last show. This is Disney's Wicked. All right. This is, you know, this is the, you know, Wicked Wizard or the Wicked Witch of the West. You know, her story told from a slightly different angle. So you have great sympathy for her. Um, and, and in fact, that's one of the, the again, I, I think we talked about this on the last show that I don't want to Frank Hill this you know this movie for a lot of people so just if you really want to know about maleficent or, or want to go in cold you're going to walk away turn off the podcast for a while or jump forward or whatever the hell you want to do uh, because you know the the whole gimmick of this i mean think about the, the that that moment in the story all right you have you know king seven his daughter's been cursed they burned all of the um you know the the spinning wheels and again, to save their daughter, to protect her for you know the 16 years until her 16th birthday, they send her off in the care of these fairies who've never taken care of a child before. All right, and the only the only moment in the movie they kind of acknowledge that these this bunch are very inept is the whole cake baking sequence and how they're making the address and they haven't been able to use their wands or you know that sort of thing. That's the only hint. Of that, they're really ch- terrible at child upbringing. So now, just back that up. Just the notion of here, you go take care of this child. All right. And for 16 years, these two or these three that have no experience in dealing with human children are, are supposed to be raising this princess. And so, uh, the gimmick of Maleficent is it. You know, she she finds out where Aurora is, like day two. <laughs> <laughs> right, you know, it's just it's one of these things where, and 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 you know, and then she goes, "Oh crap, I said sixteen years." Oh. You know, so you know, I, I, I can't kill her now. I got and and more to the point, she's watching these three inept fairies deal with with this this child, and and they do things like you. In fact, in a couple of the trailers, you can see images where, for example, they have Aurora as a small kid rushing toward the edge of a cliff. Or, you know, just playing alongside a roaring river or that sort of thing. And Maleficent ends up basically being this detached babysitter. I mean, she'll go every day, and because the fairies aren't paying attention to Aurora, she'll pay attention to Aurora. And she actually has to step in and divert her from going off of the cliff, or if she falls in the river, she has to put her staff out and and that sort of thing. And and there's this, this really great scene in the original screenplay for this thing where, in fact... Uh, they, they use a lot of this moment in the trailer. It's like, you know, I know you're there. Come out, you know, mm. and, you know, don't be afraid. And it's like, well, if I come out, then you'll be afraid. Um, but it's just like, you know, there's this line that comes after that. Well, who do you think I am? And it's like, well, it's obvious, isn't it? You're my fairy godmother. And, you know, it's one of these things where for Maleficent, who's actually very begrudgedly become to care for this kid that she's been watching over all these years, you know, to, to have her say something that that's that open and that sweet really undoes her. Mm. And that's the other thing of this. There's, there's about 30 minutes of story up, up front where, I mean, you've probably seen the images from the ads where it's Maleficent with wings and more to the point, it's Maleficent with wings, but no horns. Mm. And uh, you know that that she's uh, she's a halfling. She's half she's half fairy and half something else. Uh, which you eventually find out that her father wasn't human. Her father was Satan. 
You know, and so she has a choice between her two natures. Can she she can be the ultimate evil, or she can be decent. And this is this is what this film really is about. Is about you know, when you have two warring natures in you, and more to the point, uh, King Stefan. Uh, you meet him. He's actually Maleficent's friend. He's he's also a halfling. He's half human and half fairy. So they actually have a relationship in the first. 30 minutes of the movie, and he, Stefan, to go from being a commoner to the king, sells out the fairy realm. Mm. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot to this story. It's a, a very well-written. Um, mind you, again, I've, I've only seen the, the first draft of the script. There's been a bunch of rewrites since. A lot of the battle footage of the trees and the trolls and that sort of thing certainly wasn't in the draft that I read. Um, but there's this huge potential for this greatly entertaining film uh, that that reimagines Maleficent, and and <laughs> and again, Disney really does seem to think that they have a hit on their hands here. But in in a very weird sort of way, uh, I was talking with somebody in consumer products, and evidently the plan is that not a whole lot of merch, you know, as the movie launches, because they don't want to give anything away. But come Halloween 2014, you know, the stores are going to be filled with Maleficent costumes for all of the, you know, the, the younger girls and the preteens who want to be the misunderstood, you know, mistress of all evil and, you know, want to go out and play this character. But but Disney honestly hopes that this will, in fact, be their wicked. Um, in fact, I, my understanding is they've already tossed the script over to the folks at Disney Theatrical who, even as we speak, are working with the folks who did Frozen about the Broadway musical version of this, and they're like, what would it be like to musicalize this? And it's like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> try to find somebody. Um, <laughs> but yeah. They've done yeah. this already, though. I mean, they're wicked. They did in book form a few years ago. They did a, uh, for those who haven't seen, there's a book out there, I believe, called Ferris of the Moor, on top of my head, which was the Snow White Yep. Uh, equivalent of, of of this, which is very much their wicked. I think. I think. Um, yeah, my wife's big fear is just that in what we've seen so far in the footage, and again, it's only trailers and TV spots. Is the the pixies or fairies look very young, and obviously in the cartoon, the, the fairy godmothers are are the same. You know, quite old uh, in appearance. And uh, I think she's she's so desperate. For, she's been so desperate for it to be good for so long that now as it's coming up to a leash, she's getting slightly panicky. It could be another. Um, Oz. Well, you know, I mean, I, and the weird thing is, I, I actually got the script for this at the exact same time I got Oz, and um, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm I'm honestly more of a fan of Oz the Great and Powerful than a lot of people are, but I do also know, you know, the original casting was Robert Downey Jr. They they wanted him to play the the flawed, you know, guy, the, the, you know, the guy who eventually became good. And then when <clears throat> he passed on that, he also passed on, uh, no, actually he worked on uh, Peabody and Sherman for a couple of months before walking out of that. Uh, their their go-to guy after that was Depp. And Depp looked at it and it's like, this is nice. And, you know, but I like the original Wizard of Oz too much to, to muck around in this. So Franco was number three. Uh, and Franco got it because Raimi had enjoyed working with him on the Spider-Man movies. So it's like, you know, I know whatever ridiculous thing I ask this guy to do, he'll do. So, you know, I mean, 
to be honest, yeah. I, I think, unlike a lot of people, I think actually the biggest problem with, with Oz wasn't actually Franco, um, mm. was actually Raimi. I, I, I don't know. I just don't think it hit the notes it should have done. But I think the, I think the beginning of the film in black and white was, was majestic. I really think that was very, very well done. Um, and great use of 3D there as well. But once it actually got to Oz, it just kind of lost it for me. Uh, and that's, it's, you know, it's really, if anything, it should be the opposite. Well, that's me. Well, no, you know, it's funny you bring that up because which, which of the Evil Dead, mo- Army of Darkness, um, there's a lot of people who actually, in fact, I, I forget which guy online actually took the two movies and laid them side by side and the plot points, you know, the major plot points for both films are startlingly going you know, to line up and it's just sort of like, <laughs> oh, oh, okay. You know, so, so this is, you know, to Sam, it's, it's family like... friendly version of the Evil Dead. Yeah, there you go. Or, you know, you got to do it with a really big budget in Detroit. So it's like, um, I don't know, I'll, I'll have to, you know, look at that cold-bloodedly someday. Nick, you, you alluded to um, the fairest of them all. In, in book form but with that and then Maleficent coming out do we think there's a whole new genre of Disney backstories coming out oh dear lord um, yeah actually you know for example you might have seen the announcement you know just last week about they're doing this thing for the Disney channel called Descendants where yeah. it, the, in fact, it's the guy, uh, High School Musical. Uh, why am I blanking his name? The director, Kenny, Kenny Ortega. There we go. Uh, Kenny Ortega is uh, is is doing this, but you, you've got it's the son of Jafar. You know, it's basically moving. You know, doing this is high school. You know, that just the notion of you know that you have the the teenage sons and daughters of all the Disney, you know, baddies and princesses. You know, that sort of thing. Um, are all you know they're all at the same prep school so it's like oh of course that makes perfect sense um and so you know the the son of jafar you've got uh what evie the daughter of the evil queen uh deville's son carlos uh you know the ben carlos deville Carlos Deville, you know, just like Carlos Deville. You know, Carlos Deville. That's why. At, at some point, does someone shout, "Don't tell him, Carlos"? Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, has no one told Disney Channel creative that there's a yeah. show like this already on ABC for Once Upon well, a Time? It's and and because it and, sounds and, very similar to me. And it gets so much worse because at Toy Fair, this uh, this is the big um, every February in New York they have a spent for all of the. The toy companies. Oh, I, know, company. I know toy fair. Okay, Nancy and I were in the Mattel Pavilion, and, and seriously, they they take over like the third floor of the building, and they have this entire line of toys and videos. That, I mean, this exact story. I mean, it's just the whole notion of you know. Um, in fact, uh, I want to say it's uh, basically Maleficent's uh, daughter goes to school and but it, you know the whole notion is what if you're a bad person who doesn't want to be bad and you know so but everybody expects you to fill that role and I, I, as you just said that the, the notion of that we've got uh, the show on ABC and I, I remember talking with the, with the two gentlemen just before it launched and you know they explained there's an entire department at Disney 
uh, you know, where it's all about how are you going to use our characters? And, you know, uh, in fact, they, evidently they had, in the pilot, there's this moment where the evil queen sweeps into Snow White and Prince Charming's wedding, and Snow White lifts up a sword and, and goes to do battle with the evil queen. And there was, like, two days of meetings, like, Snow White has never picked up a sword before. Can we do that? You know, and just sort of like, <laughs> and just the whole notion of, you know, and somebody had to go get them Danish and coffee because, you know, and this is going to take all day. And it just like, I don't know, Snow White. You know, the, so I've seen so her make pies, you know. So, someone watched far too much Snow White and the Huntsman. Yeah. yeah. yeah and, actually, and, I think it predated it, actually. And, 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 and to... And to bring this full circle, that was Bob Hoskins' last role. It was indeed, yes. You know, just as one of the seven dwarfs, which, uh, you know, in fact, it's, and, and again, to make this even weirder, uh, Joe Roth, the producer of Snow White and the Huntsman, is also the guy who produced Oz the Great and Powerful and is also producing Maleficent. <laughs> and and again, to, to, to throw even a weirder spin on this, uh, he he's the guy who also produced uh, Million Dollar Arm, which is coming out here stateside shortly. But two weeks later, uh, you know, a Joe Roth film released by Disney is followed by another Joe Roth film released by Disney, Maleficent. So, for those that don't strange. know, just because I'm not sure when the UK release is, I've not actually mm -hmm. seen one. But Million Dollar Arm mm -hmm. is uh, for our UK listeners is a baseball film. Um, a, a true life baseball film, isn't it? Actually, yeah, and, actually, uh, it stars uh, John Hamm mm -hmm. from uh, TV's Mad Men. You know, it's normally how they they kind of promote him. Um, who's uh, who's a great actor? He's had uh, very good write ups already. I know it comes out in uh, the 18th, I think, 18th or something like that. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure when it's coming out in the UK. But um, it's supposed to be the big family uh, fun sports hit. So. Uh, I'm guessing it'll be along it the lines hit, of like the yeah. blind side of the game plan or something. If, if it doesn't hit the British crowds and they go, baseball, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it like rounders? But it does feature some cricket, I believe. Oh, that's all right. So, it does. It does. Um, yeah. I actually got to see a press screening about 10 days ago. And it, it um, and, and then got to talk with uh, Suraj Shamra, the, the, the uh, I think he's the, the kid who did. Uh, a Slumdog Millionaire and Matahar Ahmed, I, I believe, is the name of the, the, the kid from Life of Pi. Mm. And you know, they were just talking about the fact that they basically got tapped to do this film about four or five weeks before they began shooting in Mumbai. And then they had to come stateside to L.A. and uh, kind of did a lot of the, the athletic scenes down in Atlanta. And it's just the sort of notion of... They, and, and the two gentlemen uh, who actually, uh, 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 Raikou Singe, and I'm, I'm blanking the name of the, the other gentleman, but basically uh, Dinesh, um, they had six weeks to get ready to pretend that they were track stars, because that, that's the other weird bend in the story. They, they went over the Million Dollar Arm competition, went to India looking, thinking that they could take a cricket uh, you know, uh, 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 someone who who pitches the cricket ball and could turn Bowler. them into a base bowler, uh, and and turn them into uh, a baseball pitcher. And ironically, the two people who won the competition had never played cricket. They but they had they had thrown javelin, and evidently there was enough of you know sort of a muscle memory thing between throwing a baseball and throwing a javelin that they could translate. Uh, but you know, again, six weeks. To be in good enough athletic shape to 
you know, to, to look like this and also to, to learn these skills. And just, you know, they just described how, you know, how miserable it was to have to go to work, you know, three, four, five hours a day, you know, you know so they could at least on camera look decent. And then the irony is for the first part of the movie, they have to look miserable at baseball. So, you know, they, they said as an acting challenge, it was this whole series of weird hoops that, you know, all right, all right, these are the scenes you look terrible. So forget all the training that we just did for the five or six weeks. And then <laughs> then you got to turn around, and, you know, 10 minutes later. OK, we got that. Now you got to be great. And it's like, oh, Christ. So, um, but, yeah, they, 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 they did a nice job. And it'll just be interesting to see. Um, you know, it's so so often with these films, it's like, did you get the right weekend? Do you have the right advertising campaign? Did you, you know, how, you know, you know, just so many things. It, the success of a movie are tied to so many things that have nothing to do with the movie. You know, just, you know, God help you if you end up in a situation like, for example, here stateside, um, the, the Muppets Most Wanted uh, ended up, you know, uh, losing, uh, you know, a good portion of its business here in the States because it turns out that people had gone to see the Lego movie, had really loved it, and went and told their friends. And so it's like, you know, the weekend the Muppets debut, everybody's still going to Lego, being, you know, based on word of mouth, which, you know, doesn't happen anymore. Um, but it happened here. Although, to be fair, having having gone to see it, and yep. I think I've you know I think I've upset Joshua Gillespie. That's why he's not talking to me anymore. Uh, I didn't think uh, the Muppets Most Wanted was quite as good as the uh, the previous Muppet movie. And it was still good, but just uh, yeah. And all, well, all this Disney movie news, and still no Tron Three. So I'm <laughs> an angry boy. I, I, I was going to completely change that now and throw in my obscure segue. Um, okay. We, we've alluded to Bob Hoskins being one of the dwarfs. Yep. And uh, since the last time we spoke, they've got a new mind uh, train. You're, oh, that's, woo, oh, good what segue. A segue. Good, what a segue. I, I'm taking a bow on radio, it doesn't work. That's, that's <laughs> it. He stuck the landing, ladies and gentlemen. He had to <laughs> be able to jump from that to the other one. Woo! Um, I, it's, okay, Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, yeah. Um, was down there for the press opening, did get to talk with uh, the ride folks, and had done... Uh, I, I've been sort of tracking this one for the four years it's been going on. And, and in fact, that's basically been the largest complaint in the fan community about this ride, is that, now wait a minute, you know, this is... You know, they've been building New Fantasyland. They announced it in, what, September of 2009, and this is finally the last piece opening... You know, in in May of of 2014, you know, damn near five years, and it's like, you know, why did it take so long to build this ride? And well, part of the problem was that this wasn't the ride. This that when they announced those plans back in 2009, if you remember, that in the middle of that uh, proposed new fantasy land, there was this giant meet and greet structure where on one side again. Full, you know, it's, it's going back, changing something. We had these uh, Sleeping Beauty meet and greet where you were actually there with, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, Merryweather, uh, uh, there we go, Fa Fa Flora Fauna yeah. and Merryweather, who were prepping for, you know, her birthday. And so you're there at that moment, and then she comes in, and you, you have this wonderful moment with her. And on the other side of the building was the Tremaine Chateau, where, you know, you went through the queue and you eventually 
came out in the backyard. And here is, you know, the moment from that movie where Cinderella is, you know, you know, you know, you know, bent over the bench weeping because she can't go to the ball and her dress is torn. And then the fairy godmother appears, whips her wand around, Cinderella spins twice. And in front of you, she transforms from rags to the, the blue ball gown. And uh, I remember talking with the Imagineer who, you know, who had worked this all up. And he said, you know, the great thing is that, you know, you're watching her spin. At no time are you watching the bench as it eats all of her rags, sort of, nah, 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 you know, and pulls that off of her. So you can see the blue dress that she's been in the whole time. Um, but, yeah, that, that, that was all part of the opening. But but in no, uh, November of, of 2009, Iger, because he was still, you know, in the middle of doing his version of America's, you know, the, 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 the American Idol, as in, well, who will be my new, you know, second in command? And so he decides, you know, well, let's mix things up. We'll take Jay Rizzullo, who's my head of parks and resorts, and Tom Staggs, who's my CFO, and we'll have them switch jobs so they can both get, uh, experience uh, in another part of the company, and you know it'll be one of these two gentlemen who I will eventually select to be in charge of the company. And so Stags, you know, Rizzullo had set up the original version of, of New Fantasyland. Stags, you know, starting in January, is learning the job. Uh, goes through a series of meetings where everybody brings him up to speed about various projects. And he's finishing the New Fantasyland presentation. And at that point, he turns to the Imagineers and guys, this is all great. You know, can't wait to see the building. One question, though. Is there anything that you want to show me that didn't make the final plan? And there's this, like, real tension in the room. And they eventually, well, yeah, there is one thing. And they eventually tell him the story of how, where New Fantasyland came from. And what really happened was that, you know, they were thinking, you know, 20,000 Leagues had closed in, what, 97? 98, I think. Uh, at the, you know, maybe and it might have been, I, no, actually, 96. I mean, it had been closed for years at this point. Uh, you know, and so it's the early 2000s. They're looking at this giant, empty piece of land in the middle of the Magic Kingdom. And, and the big complaint was that there's no kinetics. I mean, you walk through this area, and it used to be the subs were moving back and forth, and people were getting in line. And there was a lot of energy. There was a lot of, you know, excitement. And now there's just this big, empty pond. And so they began thinking, well, what could we put in there that would have some kinetics, what would have some energy? And, I, you know, at, at the same time, it's just sort of going through the list of various Disney properties. And, uh, you know, they were also dealing with what they viewed as a, a land crunch, that, that they only had so much room uh, in the Magic Kingdom to, to put new rides in, especially in, in Fantasyland, which was the most popular land in the park and that's their most popular theme park so it's like we really should create more here and it was this interesting twofer I mean the idea was that well wait a minute if we shut down Snow White's uh, Scary Adventures and we then change that into a, a ride a roller coaster kind of a ride built around the, the, the dwarves and their minds uh, we then have you know we then have that show building and this was just at the point where Disney princesses was becoming this monstrous phenomenon. And so this is this part of the story nobody ever talks about, that that was where, uh, God help me, this is true, guys, the Disney princess ride was supposed to go. All right. And you, can, you know, they were going to use the exact same ride track 
as um as as Snow White Scary Adventure. Only the difference is you were just gonna go from realm to realm, and in each realm there would be a Disney princess like, oh hello, I didn't see you there. Oh hello, welcome to my kingdom, and you know that they they were going to have you know. Your mom with Cinderella, your mama with Sleeping Beauty, your mama with Jasmine, and 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 then coincidentally dump you into a store full of princess crap, uh, and that honestly was the thing that most excited the Dis- Disney executives. It's like, all right, you know, then we're gonna, you know, put the, we're gonna get all these little girls excited about princesses, and inside of sixty seconds, throw them into a store full of princess crap, and they'll just buy everything. Um, and so the the. You know the thrill ride. This the snow, uh, or excuse me, they they don't call it a thrill. Well, they don't call it a thrill ride. Out, it's always a family thrill ride, or a family coaster. Um, that was almost the uh, yeah yeah yeah. We'll do that. But oh my God, this is the princess ride. And then over years, the plan just kept mutating and mutating and mutating. So then it suddenly, well, why do one princess ride when we could have, they could eat with Belle, they could ride with Ariel, they could meet with Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty and, you know, so on and so forth. And and so the weird part is the thing that started the project, the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, totally pushed off the table. Uh, you know, they, they, they just stopped talking about it at this point. And so they, they, they show it to Stags and he's got, and God love him, he doesn't have daughters, he has three little boys. And in much the same tradition as what happened with Breck Eisner, when, when you know, Eisner had been on, on the job maybe 10 days, two weeks when he first went over to Imagineering. But he was so busy at that time in 1984, the fall of 84, that the only time he had to go over to Imagineering was a Saturday morning. And so, you know, everybody's there for, you know, here comes a new boss. And, you know, he brings his son Breck with him who, because they're going to go to, I guess, a, a softball game or something or a Little League game immediately after this walkthrough. And, you know, Breck is like any other kid. It's like, oh, God, I am so bored. Did my dad get drag me to this thing? And can we please be out of here? And they take him into the model shop. And, and everybody, because they're Imagineers and they all have their pet projects, and push their favorite projects to the front. And Breck is wandering away because, uh, you know, everybody is just fawning all over his dad and pointing out the crap they want to get built. And Breck wanders away and ends up at the back of the hall and goes, hey, Dad, look at this. And it's the model for the ride that was then known as zippity doo run which now is known as Splash. Mm. And he's like, Dad, look at this. This is cool. This is a flume ride. You know, it's like, I don't want that stupid space building. Look at this. Mm-hmm. So... We ended up with that attraction because Breck Eisner got bored and wandered away. And in much the same way, we ended up with Seven Dwarfs Mine Train because Tom Staggs has three boys and came home with the, well, they're thinking of doing this meet and greet with, you know, Sleeping Beauty and Cinderella. Or what about this mine train thing? It's like, oh, Dad, the mine train, please. Um, so, you know, they, they, but again, the problem was that the ship had sailed. They had done the survey work. The conduit was in, the, the electrical, the, the plumbing. And so these poor guys, as everything else is moving forward, have to, you know, tear up their plans for the giant show, The Lake of Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty, and figure out how to shoehorn this coaster in. Um, they do pull it off, but it, it comes at a huge price because they made a decision that, okay, so we'll get everything else built, and then we'll just throw a friends up around Sleeping Beauty, oh, excuse me, Snow White, and then we'll build that behind the construction fence. And the, I remember talking with the project engineer and said, you know, I, I got to talk with them on basically the, the well, as they were opening the first phase of New Fantasyland. And he just the poor guy was talking about, well, we just lost our construction umbilicus. 
uh, and uh, for, for those of you unfamiliar with the term, the, the, an umbilicus is that piece that would from the backstage to the, the front of the house that they could move steel and concrete through while people are in the park. Mm. But because they'd now made the decision, well, we want that walkway open all the way from Gaston's Tavern all the way on to Storybook Circus, uh, that meant every day, whatever they had to work with had to come into the work site behind and be behind the fence, closed off before the first guest came in. And wow. when you think about it, you know, given how many people get into, you know, early entry into the park or how many times the Magic Kingdom is open till one or two o'clock in the morning. I mean, these guys, there's a reason it took this long to get built. They just they, yeah. they could, couldn't get the supplies in there. And then uh, a really interesting bend on the story about um, two years in. So we're talking 2012 or thereabouts, you know, early 2012. And they're looking, you know, they're, they're looking at the models and they're looking at the AA figures they're going to do with the dwarves. And this is all going to be next-gen stuff. They're going to move really flow, fluidly. But honestly... These are animated figures. These are, the, the, these are based on the figures from, or the characters from the 37 film, and you can sculpt them to look as close as you want to the original dwarves. But at the same time, there's only so much a servo that's underneath a piece of plastic can do. You know, you, you can't make the faces move like they did in the movie. But they had been developing this technology that, that sort of took its... Um, if you've ever been on Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger Spin and yep. seen that buzz in the queue that has yeah. the projected face, um, and then if you've been into Storytime with Bell, there's the, the Lumiere, whose eyes and the upper lip are um, projected. And it's like, we can take that technology and we can put it inside of each of the dwarves' heads that um, can basically use a projector that's the size of a lipstick and we can use a technology that allows us to digitally map the inside of the face. So, you know, it's not a question of when they turn on the projector, you know, you suddenly have Doc's eyeballs coming out of his cheek. You know, that they, they're there, they're exactly where they need to be in the face every day. In fact, there's a, a test they do every morning for like three seconds that sort of zeroes the projectors into place and then they go. Um, but they, they mock this up with a couple of other characters to show stags. And he came in and saw it and said, oh, we have to do this. You know, that, that, that's a go. So 24 months out, suddenly they go from traditional audio animatronic figures to these brand new projected face ones, which I'll tell you, having ridden the thing, I did it once in the afternoon and then like six times during the press party. Um, it's, it's amazing uh, at certain light conditions. Uh, in fact, I, I want to caution you guys that if you, you when you get over stateside and do ride this ride, you want to be getting into the queue probably at dusk because uh, you, you want to be riding this thing with enough light so you can see. And in fact, you also, you want to bring one fat friend along with you. Well, let me say that right up front. <laughs> All right, because the orc cars do, in fact, swing. But if, you know, if you're riding on this thing with Brazilian models, you're, you're just not getting the full effect. All right, you, you you have to bring if I'm your... riding it with Brazilian models, Jim, I'm not looking at the animatronics. Well, there you go, all right? <laughs> More to the point, if you're there with Brazilian models, what the hell are you doing in a theme park? Why, why did you leave the hotel room? I'm assuming we're um... talking about female Brazilian models here, but hey. Well, yeah, that, that, well, I'm... I, I, I'm not one to judge. Um, but, <laughs> but anyway, yes, bring your fat friend Frank on this ride, because when you go through these curves, 
and the way this thing hugs the ground is amazing. They do, in fact, I mean, the cars really do swing. Uh, but you you need weight in the car for the full effect. You know, that's that's if you, gonna have. there we go. Um, but when you finally get into the um, the cavern, um, and and at dusk, and you you've got, you know, it's 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 dark enough at both ends. You get uh, the, the dwarves look amazing. They really do. In fact, if you've seen the video of them and they look kind of underwhelming, mm-hmm. it's like that's because somebody's thrown on, you know, an external light. You know, that that's it, in the darkness in the way this is originally lit. Uh, it, it, it is stunning. And that coupled with the fact that when you go up the ride hill or the, 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 the load hill at the end of the ride, the silhouettes of the dwarves that are marching next to you are so much clearer and, you know, so obviously modeled after what's done in the film. Um, I, which brings me to the one problem. Uh, and I think, in fact, I just found out about this yesterday, that, that the UV light that's in this thing all right, the way they painted the gems and the beams and everything in the central mining scene. Uh, it looks spectacular now, but it only holds... This paint fades after six months, which means it's going to be up to the people at Walt Disney World, I mean, to actually maintain this thing. Uh, and I, I don't want to say Yeti, but, um, you know, just... You, you understand that, that yeah. it's... I, you know, so it's one of these things where it's like you're, you're relying on the the people on Disney's maintenance staffs to make sure this thing looks as good as it does right now. And oh God, I, I hope that they actually do it because it, it really is. It's it's not an E ticket, not by any stretch of the imagination, but it's it's a D with a lot of charm. Uh, and they 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 seem very happy with it because it's already you know they're already planning on having it travel. I think it's going to Shanghai. Uh, next, and I guess Paris after that, um, and then we'll see what happens after that. But it's, it's it it. I won't say it's it's worth the wait. I I still think that Disney needs to speed up, especially in comparison to you know what goes on at, at with Universal. I mean, the guys at Comcast will turn on the money fire hose and. and you know, in a, in a heartbeat, whereas Disney is a company that loves to have meetings and, you know, which is why something that probably maybe should have taken two years to build took four and a half. Oh, um, but, but there, there you go. go. Oh, no. Well, um, we're, we're stuck to our radio length and uh, the barman has called time, gentlemen, please. Oh, uh, what? I what? know. Like, like, like our two-star review, we could listen to Jim all night and uh, we, we planned a... Uh, uh, another Jim Hill section where we're going to ask our listeners to ask you questions. Uh, 23, blue. Uh, <laughs> let's see. <laughs> eight and a half inches wide. I just... We'll there, we, there we go. There we'll we go. You know. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, on that note, gentlemen and dear listeners, thank you very much and we shall see you in a fortnight's time. Yes, good night. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, oh, guys. Great. Great fun. Always enjoy doing the show, guys. Growing older is mandatory. Growing up is optional. This After Dark, the podcast that's nearly the same as all the others. Oh, he fades out gently like a professional. <laughs>